Hello, Mississippi and abroad. This is Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal welcoming you to another edition of Justify Your Existence, where we bring you the relevant college football talk in Mississippi and the SEC. I'm joined by Stefan Kreishnik, our Mississippi State writer. Stefan, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. How you doing? Well, I'm recovering. You know, it was a, a late night uh, on Labor Day there uh, in Atlanta with uh, Ole Miss and Louisville. I think uh, Michael and I finished up at like almost uh, three in the morning and then got up and traveled and, uh, you know, a uh, lot of wear and tear. We did get to see the College Football Hall of Fame. That was pretty cool. And uh, we uh, stopped at Bucky's and that was good, too. So you, you, have you been to a Bucky's yet, man? I haven't been yet. I haven't been. So okay. I'll make sure to put on the list. Yeah, Michael Katz was amazed. He loved it. He bought a T-shirt. He bought all kinds of things uh, at the Bucky's, excuse me, in Leeds, Alabama. And I thought going there in Leeds, Alabama, uh, Steph, that uh, we might see a big cutout of Charles Barkley. That's his hometown, but uh, no cutout of Charles there uh, at the Bucky's in Leeds, Alabama. Look, first time uh, we've been together on a podcast since uh, opening day. Uh, Mississippi State rallying, big comeback, impressive comeback um, for a 35-34, is that what it was? Sorry, that's right. Yeah, 35-34 win against Louisiana Tech. Um, so your first time, our first time really to see the Bulldogs uh, live, you know, saw a good bit of them in camp. Uh, what were your impressions? Right. I think the impression in the first and fourth quarter was it's a team that can be pretty good and a team that's made some strides in the second year of um, of Mike Leach and Zach Arnett's systems. Um, you know, in the first and fourth quarter, they looked really good. I mean, to be down 20 points means that at some point you were really struggling. And that's what the case was in the second and third quarter. It was um, a mixture of just, you know, lax play. Uh, Leach said that some players quit on the team. Um, there was just very little energy, and then there was just miscues. I mean, offensively, it seemed like it was just turnover after turnover, punt after punt. Um, you know, anytime they get a chance to, to stretch the lead, um, they wouldn't take advantage of it. Anytime they get a chance to, to kind of cut into LA Tech's lead, um, you know, they wouldn't really get a, wouldn't really take advantage of the opportunity uh, until late in the late in the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, when the defense kind of set the tone in terms of um, taking some drives and, and forcing uh, Louisiana. To second to field goals instead of uh, instead of getting touchdowns. I felt like that kind of was an underrated part of the game that maybe, you know, I mean, if, if some of those field goals turn into touchdowns, well, now you're looking at a, a 27, 30-point deficit. Um, it's, a, it's a completely different story um, than 34-14. Um, and then, you know, Tulu Griffin, he set the tone on, on special teams with that 70-yard return. And, um, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about, but re reflecting on that game the next day, um, you know, Tula returns a 70-yard kick, and you kind of feel at that point like Mississippi State's going to win the game. They're down 20 still, but it, it's crazy how sometimes you just – a play happens and you can sense um, the momentum shift. It, it's kind of weird how maybe you and I have just watched too many sporting events in our life, and, and we can kind of predict this kind of stuff now, which, um, you know, if that was always the case, I'm sure we would make a lot of money off of that. Um, but but it, it was fun. To, it was fun to watch, um, you know, the Mike – which air raid offense click late in that or late in the game in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and I think you see that if Will Rogers is, is his eyes are in the right spot. Um, it, it's an offense that can click, even though he might not have the strongest arm. You know what? Uh, I wasn't all in on the comeback right away on the Griffin kick return. I thought 
Hmm. I thought that was uh, interesting because, you know, Tech with that lead at that point, man, what you really want is bottle them up around the 18 and and, and make uh, make State drive in the way that they drive with short passes and screens. Just make them run some plays and and run some clock. And, and then when you give them <clears> – <throat> when you give up a 70-yard kick return, you give up momentum. And – uh, credit Mississippi State for being able to convert that right away, but then coming back with the three and out. Okay, really short uh, possession for Louisiana Tech uh, on the you know after that uh, touchdown, and then an offense that that needed to move the ball quickly, needed to score, and doesn't go downfield a lot. Got that big play, got that forty yard pass from Rogers to Jameer Calvin, another big play there. And that's when I started thinking, man, you know they got. Uh, they got time. And, they, you know, in fact, State scored so quickly that uh, they gave the ball back to Tech and almost lost it. <laughs> you know, uh, Tech uh, drove into field goal range there, had to convert a fourth and 11 uh, to to really get in range, and they did. And and then it came down to the last play and, and State getting a nice uh, special teams play, getting a hand uh, on that field goal. But uh, I'm like you. I thought uh, thought the offense looked really good at times. But uh, you just you cannot clock out for two and a half quarters uh, in the SEC. You just can't, and and that can't be overlooked in this opener. But when they were not committing penalties and when they were not turning over the ball, uh, I thought they they looked good. I thought we saw uh, that receiver depth that Mike Leach talked about in camp. We saw Will Rogers spread the ball around. We saw young receivers get involved, new receivers get involved. And I think overall that could be a strong group for uh, the Bulldogs. We saw uh, the guy I've come to know now is Woody Marks because you, you throw out all these nicknames at me, Steph, and I'm, I'm not there yet. And, you know, and so I'm thinking, is, is that the same as Jaquavius? And so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all in with Woody now. It's a whole lot easier to, uh, to say. He had a great game. I thought uh, for a running game that really was uh, uninspiring last year, he had about uh, 72 yards, thought he ran hard and uh, was a factor in the passing game as well. We heard Mike Leach after the game, Steph, talk about toughness, toughness, toughness. How does toughness manifest itself for an offense that drops back and throws short passes most of the time? I mean, that's, You've got kind of a finesse offense. You know, how do you show toughness? Yeah, I think one, one thing I wanted to touch real quick on, on the Woody Marks note, um, I think, um, you know, obviously his game speaks for itself. And he, his, the work he put in this offseason in terms of positioning and stuff, I think really showed in that first game. Um, and, and I was looking at a stat yesterday from um, SEC StatCat on, uh, on Twitter, and it, it appears that in this game and a little bit, but towards the end of last season, um, a leech offense that typically goes below 6% RPO um, was above 10% um, in, the, in the past few games that he's been at Mississippi State dating back to last season. So that's kind of one thing maybe to keep an eye on moving forward is maybe there's a little more, it's not much, but maybe a little more run um, involved in this offense than, than typical Mike Leach offense. Um, now going to the, to the toughness aspect, um, it, it, is, it is interesting. It's kind of hard maybe sometimes to notice. Um, how, how toughness works in this offense. But, um, you know, first it, it starts at the offensive line. I mean, if you're giving up weak holding calls, you're letting 
uh, defensive lineman just per- burst right past you, then, then, then you're not tough right away in the trenches. And I think that's interesting because I mean, respect to Louisiana Tech. I thought, I thought coming into the game that they had a pretty experienced defense that was going to give uh, Mississippi State some issues, but their defensive line is not uh, an Alabama uh, defensive line. And if, if you're letting them burst past you like that and you're going to get holding calls and allow pressure like that against Louisiana Tech, uh, you're not in a really good spot when, when a team like Alabama or another, or, and really any SEC team, uh, comes comes to Starkville. So that, that's, I guess, where, where it all starts, where the toughness lacks the most. Um, and then, then you look at it, I mean, the, their great offense, so much of what sets up, you know, the 40-yard pass to Calvin is success in those screen passes, in those short passes. You get a seven-yard seven catch, an eight-yard catch. Um, it, it makes a difference. And I think last season we saw a lot of those catches just be a two-yard catch, a three-yard catch. Now you're seeing them for eight or nine yards. It, it spreads the ball out a little bit. You move the ball a little bit. And then it opens that deep play if Will Rogers is, is, has his eyes in the right place, as I mentioned earlier. But, but on those screen passes, it, it's not a matter of the quarterback making a lazy pass over to a wide receiver. Uh, the receivers that are around them have to be blocking. The offensive lineman has to be moving over and send some blocks up downfield. Running back has to be involved, ready to create some blocks downfield. That's where that toughness shows. And, and I think a lot of what Leach praised was um, people didn't feel that their job was important. And when you're down 20, they felt like it doesn't matter that, you know, so what if I miss a block? Um, you know, I'm a wide receiver, so what if I miss a block? Well, that's what sets up this offense. If wide receivers aren't blocking, then then those screen passes are going to be worthless. They're not going to open anything up in the offense. So that's, that's I think, where the toughness is, is preached the most. Of, um, there's a lot of little things that go into Mike Leach offense, and it's not just the quarterback finding his wide receiver. And when, when those little things are off, that's when you see those turnovers, those holding calls, those false starts, things just not clicking and, and the offense not working. I'll tell you, we looked at Louisiana Tech coming in and, and saw a, a veteran team. I thought they were well coached. I thought they were prepared. Uh, I thought, Steph, that State looked good defensively, uh, as as they did in camp. And uh, it was clear that Tech wasn't going to just have 80-yard touchdown drives on this defense. That wasn't going to be uh, the way that they were able to win the game. But they put themselves in position – because they had several well-schemed, well-called plays. I'm thinking of the long touchdown pass. I mean, they're touchdowns. They had three touchdowns and a pick six, four touchdowns in a game, and the touchdowns were like from 24, then like 50-something and 70-something. So right. scoring with big plays, but they they hit their spots. And, we you know, we remember the, the, the long touchdown pass early when I believe it was Emmanuel Forbes – maybe looked confused or, or, or broke in, and, and the tech receiver was just really wide open. I, I don't think they make that play if Forbes is uh, makes the right read and is running step for step right there. I mean, Tech was not a great uh, downfield passing team last year. Didn't see just a ton of that um, in the game Saturday. But uh, we also saw a quarterback run for 50-plus from – uh, Austin Kendall that was set up well and blocked well. And uh, so they took advantage of some big plays, a veteran team there. But I did like what I saw uh, from State defensively. Uh, what what uh, what were your impressions on that side of the ball? Yeah, I think it, it was kind of the same thing that we saw, especially, um, you know, during, during a stretch of that game where, like, like, you, like I've been saying, a lot of the little things kind of caught up to them. I mean, it's Emmanuel Forbes coming in and, it's kind of hard to tell on the play whether um, 
Forbes is the one that got tricked up or if Jalen Green should have been behind there covering and, and helping out on that play because he was late getting over too, chasing down the receiver. Um, so it, it kind of felt like maybe there was a, a miscommunication there. All right, then you move on to the to the 59-yard touchdown run that, that uh, Austin Kendall had. Um, talking to Colin Duncan yesterday, uh, Mississippi State safety, he was saying that it, that was just a sense of uh, Mississippi State wasn't really lined up and ready um, you know, as quick as they should have been. And they just made a terrible read. And next thing you know, you know, the quarterback's coming out and there's nobody in front of him. He goes 60 yards. The first time he was touched was when his players were celebrating, his teammates were celebrating with him and they knocked him to the sidewalk um, behind Mississippi State's end zone. That's the only contact that he, that he really ran into. So it was, um, you know, it's, it's inexcusable to have, you know, big breakdowns like that if you're Mississippi State. I know I'm sure Zach Garnett is, is letting them hear it this week. Um, but at the same time, those are two plays where you look and you say, all right, well, those are um, maybe two small mistakes that in terms of yardage look a lot worse um, than they are. How do we clean that up? Well, it probably goes back to that mental toughness and not taking plays off, not thinking that your job is less important than, than somebody else's. When, when you clear that up, I think you're, you're going to eliminate some of those big plays. Um, I think the highlight of Mississippi State's defense in that game was Martin Emerson. Uh, they, they were not targeting him whatsoever. They were not going his way. I mean, he is sitting in the press box. I don't know if you and I ever even mentioned him throughout the game. And that's kind of a good, that's a good thing for a cornerback, unless he's got an interception or something. Um, you probably don't want to hear his name because that means they're not throwing to him. Oh, I'm making um, it. That, that was, yeah, when, when they did throw, you know, so it was. Right. So. Right. So I, I think he was, he was definitely the bright spot. And I think you see, um, you know, Forbes is, is a year younger. Um, I, I don't think Forbes is, is I mean, he, I think he's one of the, the better, probably maybe one among the five best corners in the SEC. I think him and, him and Emerson both could be. But I think you see a little experience lacking on, on one side. And you're going to see teams attacking um, Forbes a lot more than, than Emerson just by default because you, you'd rather go one way than the other. So that's that's kind of the one thing where, um, you know, watching that game, if, if those, those small things get shirt up, you eliminate some of those big plays. I don't, I don't think it was a bad game for Mississippi State's defense. And I think especially in the third quarter, they were putting some terrible spots by that offense um, that they were able to build them out on by holding, holding the Louisiana Tech to some field goals. All right, let's uh, turn the page looking ahead to North Carolina State uh, coming to start. Well, Saturday night at 6. Before we get to the Wolfpack, Steph, I do want to mention uh, a great story we had today uh, at djournal.com and in the print edition of the Daily Journal. Looking back at uh, the Mississippi State-South Carolina game uh, in 2001, the first college football game played after the attacks on America on 9-11. It will be 9-11 Saturday, game day, this week. But looking back, uh, you know, at that game, Bulldogs and Gamecocks, I covered that game. What was – what did you think uh, just working on that story? I really enjoyed the part about uh, the nervousness uh, between uh, – uh, in the conversation between Jackie Sherrill and Larry Templeton. Uh, Larry wasn't quite – he wasn't all in, man. He wasn't quite sure – that uh, Jackie's daughter should sing the national anthem at that particular game. Uh, but uh, what, uh, what, what were your takeaways from working on that story? Yeah, I think, I think the main takeaway, and, you know, it, it's hard sometimes for me. I mean, I, I was two years old when 9-11 happened. I, I think it's kind of might be crazy for some people to hear that I don't have, you know, my 9-11 story because I don't remember it happening. And that's, you know, it, it's kind of weird that we're at the, probably weird for you to see that there's a generation now that's in the workforce and, and doesn't remember, you know, 9-11. Um, but I think 
the what's clear to me when I when I read about 9/11 and I see the footage and and I talk to people, you know, and I, I read stories like yours where where you talk about your column with, with your experience through it is is everyone remembers where they were. Everyone knows exactly where they were, and there's very few events um, in our in our nation's in, in the world's history that that you remember exactly where you were. And you know what I what I tried to relay in that story was the number one thing is you know Jackie Sherrill, Skip Hold. Larry Templeton, they all remembered exactly where they were. And then from there, um, like you said, again, in, in your column, um, you always remember your secondary memory. You know, what, what's the thing that stands out following 9-11? Um, and, and so all these guys, it was that game. It was preparing for that game. The, everything that went into that game. I mean, Starkville suddenly, you know, turned into one of the biggest cities in America because you're about to have 43,000 people gathered in one place. I mean, people were scared. You had the FBI coming to Starkville, you had, you know, local law enforcement, you had the Air, the Air Force here, you know, everyone was, in terms of law enforcement, everyone was in Starkville, you know, you had bomb sniffing dogs every single day for three days, um, going around stadium, around campus, they got concrete barriers, two blocks around, um, around the stadium. And yet at the same time, they don't want to scare people. They, they don't want to send this message to the world that America is living in fear. And that's, um, that's, you know, another interesting part is they told fans, hey, we're going to have metal detectors at the game. Don't bring your cowbells, um, which Larry Templeton said was probably as hard as anything was to, to tell state fans not to bring their cowbells. Um, but then they decide not to, not to have metal detectors because they, want, they don't want to send the fear. And, and that's another thing that's so funny to, to talk to, to people about is, you know, this was such a foreign concept, metal detectors at a game. And now it's like, I mean, that's, that's so, that's nothing. Else. Of course, yeah, of course, we're going to walk through a metal detector. We're so used to that now. And it's, it's funny to hear just all these conversations that are that are so common now take place and, and then be so complex. And then, yeah, obviously going – I mean, the game itself was a great game. You had two top 20 teams, 16-14 um, to 14 in final score. South Carolina wins. Um, too many turnovers for Mississippi State really just tossed them in that game. Um, but, but Larry Templeton, you know, Mississippi State's athletic director, said that was the first time and probably the only time he's been at a game um, where, where the game was secondary. I mean, uh, the, the motions of the pregame ceremony – you know, having ESPN, their broadcast air inside the stadium, uh, so emotional for the people that were involved there. I mean, like you said, you were there. I mean, I can't imagine how tough it is to, to try to cover a game or be part of a game um, when when nine days before something so tragic happened and, and you're dealing with it all. And Jackie Sherrill didn't, when he when he wanted his daughter to do the national anthem, he wasn't aware of the, the three-second delay uh, that plays a part until afterward. I mean, he, I asked him if he was nervous during the anthem. He's like, well, I had no idea during the anthem. During the anthem, he just thought his daughter was singing like at any time. But the way the PA system works is, is you sing, you say something, and then you hear yourself say it about three seconds later. So you need to, I mean, basically you need to ignore what you hear and just sing the words like you know the words and pretend like nothing else is going on. And, uh, he said that his daughter, Bonnie, kind of looks back sometimes and grimaces a little bit. I think she probably notices her mistakes more than, anybody else would but but she hits the high note at the end the crowd erupts um and then the band plays god bless america and everyone in the stadium sings along i mean it, it was just so you know the pressure was so high in mississippi state to make that perfect because the white house told the sec that this is what they wanted you have to make that perfect and and for the most part um from what you see in that broadcast msu did just about everything um that it could to make that um you know one of the most memorable college football games ever you know, I think back to that game, Steph, and I think of that day and, you know, and just the uncertainty, you know, you, you didn't know. I mean, uh, 10 days before, we didn't know that an attack was coming. Everything was normal. You had those big towers there uh, in New York City. 
Um, and then 10 days later, it's like, I, you know, I got to that game, not necessarily with fear, but with caution, like, well, you know, first game back, you know, for everybody, big crowd, big gathering spot, maybe, uh, an attractive target. Um, you know, just kind of an awareness, like, uh, you know, this could happen. We didn't think uh, planes would fly into those buildings before, and now we knew that it could happen. Well, you know, could happen again that day. Uh, it was a very, it was kind of surreal, but it was great to see those displays of unity and patriotism that showed throughout that game. So um, it was a good experience and a good look back there uh, in the Daily Journal today and online at the Journal. Dot com. Uh, Steph, North Carolina State, man, what do you know about the Wolfpack? 45 to nothing the first week over uh, South Florida. Yeah, I think we learned that uh, South Florida probably isn't that good of a college football team at this point of the season. But, no, I mean, NC State, it doesn't matter who you're facing. When you run for 293 yards, I think that shows that you got a pair of running backs um, that, that are pretty dang good. And I think that that's what NC State is going to present. If, if Mississippi State's run defense isn't on top of it, it's going to be a long day for the for the Bulldogs because uh, NC State's going to run the clock. They're going to hold the ball, and that air raid offense not going to get um, many chances to to capitalize. So um, that that's the number one thing, and it, it's a team that's experienced. I know that there are a couple spots out of the AP poll right now. I think they're second most in terms of receiving votes. Um, so they're right on the edge, and I'm sure they they probably want to win this game. Um, to win the game, but also because a win and, and a couple losses in the top 25 probably boost them up to the top 25. It's a team that the past couple of years um, has kind of been building and, and has some experience now and that, that it's kind of starting to pay off. And they have, a, they have a pretty decent team that's going to contend in the ACC. Don't think it's going to be much better than Clemson, but um, it, it's, it's certainly going to be a fun team to watch this year, one that's going to be making a, making a push towards some, towards some good bowl games. Um, and I, I think that experience just plays a role. Everyone knows their job. They do their job well. Um, it's just a, a very fundamentally smart team. It's it's kind of a little bit old-style football in the sense of how much they like to run the ball and run the clock, um, which is going to be a total contrast to what Mississippi State does. Um, the, the the most interesting thing besides the, run, the rushing attack versus Mississippi State's run defense is going to be how both teams um, – play against their the respective defenses. Both teams run a 3-3-5 defense. And North Carolina State runs basically what Zach Garnett tries to run at Mississippi State. So both teams in practice the last month or so have seen what they're going to see in this game. Um, Leeds said, you know, that's a benefit to his offense because they kind of have an idea of what they're going to face, but that's also a benefit to NC State's offense that they know what they're going to face um, on the opposite side. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see what different things the defenses try to present, throw the offensive offense is off and then it's going to be interesting to see how the offenses can read defenses they know pretty well at this point and, and capitalize on that so that, that that's kind of the interesting facet of the game for me all right watching the nation react to college football on social media and that sort of thing uh, after week one i think my my favorite scenes were uh ed ogeron in the silly blue shirts uh comment there <laughs> going into uh play ucla and and Nick Saban wearing that leather helmet, not Lane Kiffin necessarily. I thought it looked goofy <laughs> on, uh, on Nick Saban. It, it seems like the kind of uh, social media thing or, or silliness you might expect from, from Lane Kiffin, but not necessarily from Saban. So uh, what, what were your takeaways from week one? Why, why did the Hoosiers get slapped around, man, there uh, against Iowa? <laughs> in the big open? 
I saw I saw that one coming from a mile away. I think um, I think I, I'm maybe a little more optimistic on the Hoosiers than a lot. A lot of people are selling stock. I mean, they dropped from 17 to 33 in the AP poll. I think everyone needs to just – it was Penix's first game back from the ACL. They're going to have a nice win against Idaho this weekend, kind of get things back. And then uh, Cincinnati comes to Bloomington, full crowd, full stadium. They'll be fine. They'll be the top 10 team, and they'll be back in the AP poll before you know. We'll be, we'll be looking back in January and saying, wow, remember that one loss they had to Iowa this year? Uh, here they are making a push for the playoffs because they beat Ohio State, and they're only a one-loss team. Um, but, no, I think um, – I will say Ole Miss looked, looked pretty dang impressive in that game. I, I watched most of the game against Louisville. Um, you guys did a great job covering that. It was, it was fun to watch from afar a couple of days after um, being in your guys' shoes and, and knowing those, uh, pushing for those deadlines and whatnot. Um, it, it, was, it was fun to watch that game. They're, they're a fun team to watch. Um, I think, it, you know, besides Mississippi State, because um, I doubt that they would ever want people to wear blue shirts, um, due to the old Miss rivalry, but I think every single school that faces LSU should wear blue shirts, and and maybe specifically sissy blue shirts yeah. um, to to get under to get under Ed Orgeron's skin. So that'd be kind of, that'd be kind of funny to see. And the the Nick Saban helmet moment, I don't think anybody saw that coming. But um, you know, when when you beat down a team like Miami like that, who who I think is an overrated team to start with, but when you beat down down on them like that, I think uh, I think you can have some fun with with your players. Hey, folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we bring you the relevant college football talk in Mississippi and the SEC. For Stefan Kreishnik, I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us, folks. Come back and join us later this week.